and I really don't want to call in like a false tip on this. It was a silver alert, so it wasn't an amber alert. Okay, so yeah, if yeah. it was an amber alert, like it would have called no matter I, what. I would have called no matter what. Yeah. But so I was like panicked about it. So then I got to my job and I'm like furiously typing because I was like, right, remember it ended in a five six six, and if that's the plate, I'm gonna call and be like, they were just on six ninety five. So <laughs> just like great, the cool, this giant beltway. <laughs> and Thank they got you for off. that information. Um, which I think a silver alert is just like a missing elderly person. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if it was really that high stakes. Um, then I couldn't find it. But then, like, obviously, when I left my job, I got back on the highway. Not the same plate at all. <laughs> I wasn't a hero. Um, but I'm really still holding out because I feel like if I'm on the highways that much, I should be able to, like, call in an alert at, one day. At some point. It's at some happen. point. You do have a hero complex, though. <laughs> you, <laughs> you love being a savior. I just want to. It's why I was, like... I loved being like the coffee manager at Outwaters because I was like, that problem, I'll fucking fix it. <laughs> I loved fixing problems. I'm a, that's not my problem. Can't person. fix myself, but. <laughs> but other people, I love to fix. Yes. Uh, but we're not here to talk about no. America's Most Wanted <laughs> or Silver Alert. Although, wouldn't it be fun to start a podcast about that old show, <laughs> America's Most Oh, Wanted. I thought you were going to say about Silver Alerts. No. Like, <laughs> that would not be fun. No, it wouldn't. Um, no, this is a podcast about herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. We talk about famous women in history every single week. For almost two years straight. Almost two years. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. They sure do. But just so you know, we're drinking the entire time because we need something to just quiet down our heads because we have just spent the whole last week researching and we need to give it to you in a nice, tidy package, but we also need an excuse for why we make mistakes. Yes. Because so. <laughs> what if we just actually weren't drinking, but we just oh said God. that we were? <laughs> that would be the best. It would be. Um, um, it's yeah, okay. So if, it's okay if you don't drink. Yeah. But you don't have to drink along no, with us. But well, we're not historians is our absolutely point. That's not, not what we do. <laughs> we're like, we know things about history yeah, and about We feminism, dabble. But we're not, we're not, we're amateurs. Yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> um, so how it's going to work is Katie's going to tell me a story and serve me a cocktail. And then I'm going to tell her a story and serve her a cocktail. And then we're going to compare these mm -hmm. ladies so that we can see how different times and places really do connect in many ways. Absolutely. But you're busy right now you're texting your mom you while are. you're listening to this and you're having some sort of conversation with her and you know how moms like they sit and watch that dot dot oh dot. they do and if that dot 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 goes away you are screwed right so you can't leave the text screen so even though you're on your phone you need someone to tell you what these women look like because when we're telling you the story and you're texting your mom you're gonna want to know yeah you're going to want to know so Allie we got to sing. Are you ready to get <laughs> physical? Physical. <laughs> I really am messing up today. We're going to have to quit this podcast. This is the official last episode. And um, I hope you enjoyed. Good night. All. It was been a long run. Um, 
Allie, who are you doing tonight and what does she look like? So I know this is going to be an interesting evening because we're both doing groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am doing the Botswana all-female guides in okay. South Africa. or Not in South Africa, in Southern Africa. Botswana okay. is in the southern half of Africa. Gotcha, That's gotcha, going to get gotcha. confusing because I'm going to say South Africa a yeah. lot, not the country proper. Um the women are all aged about 20 to 40 and they often get a double take because they're rare they have a green khaki uniform which is a short sleeve button down um with like a gold and red logo on the breast pocket and then like obviously long pants and boots the they wear uh, around their necks a red scarf with either white elephants on it or a white scarf with golden elephants on okay. it it's like either red or gold and um most of these women have really short hair because it's damn hot in Botswana mm. but uh most likely you're gonna see them behind the wheel of an electric Land Rover and that's what these cool. women look like very cool <laughs> what what do your slew of women look like so I am doing <laughs> And I did make up a little song for them. Okay, do it. <laughs> the Sutherland Sisters. I'm looking for hair that's long, long. I'm looking for hair that's long, long. I'm looking for hair that's long, long. Barnum and Bailey, Barnum and Bailey. Work. <laughs> hair. <laughs> okay, um, there so we go. Good job. The sisters were all <laughs> relatively pale young women who ranged in height, but were of a fairly average build. With one striking thing in common, extremely long hair. The shortest being three feet and the longest being seven. They typically wore just dark colored Victorian gowns unless they were performing and they would wear all white. How long is my hair? Mm, Two feet? Not even. Maybe like a foot and a half. Foot and a half. Okay, so three feet is very long hair. Because I consider myself to have long hair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think... I wonder what the longest I ever got mine was because mine your got... Your hair got... Is very healthy. Yeah. You had it I've down like, to your hip bones, I feel <laughs> yeah. like. It was def- yeah, it was definitely was um, down to my waist at one point. Maybe when two you, points. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my thing that I just like grow it, grow it, grow it, and then... Chop it all chop off. Chop it all off. Yeah. So uh, not to brag, but I've given to locks of love a few times. <laughs> I have not. My hair is unhealthy, fried, dyed, and destroyed. <laughs> Um, but yes, that's what they look like. Do you want to know what you're about to drink? I, I really do because this is one of the trashiest cocktails we've ever had. And I love, I want to love how it fits in, I'm sure. So this is called the Seven Sutherland Sisters One Stop Bonafide Cure All Hair of the Dog Hangover Tonic. You've really put it on for tonight. I did. AKA the Sutherland Sarsaparilla Spritz. So that's like the classier name for it. Mm. Um, so it is the trashiest drink we've ever made on this podcast. <laughs> it's a root beer float with spiced rum and served with uh, fast food French fries on the side. In a cocktail glass. In though. a cocktail glass. <laughs> because I was thinking about like a hair of the dog cocktail because obviously hair is going to be the main theme tonight. But the hair of the dog cocktails is like they don't feel very like Sutherland sisters because they were a circus act Hmm. so I was like I want to do something that is like circusy like trashy but also like there are some other things that tie in so like rum and ice cream are both big parts of their story so this is like and also, this is what I ha- drink and eat when I have a hangover. I get like a fountain. Salty ass fries. I get a fountain soda 
and I get a big order of fries, usually from like Burger King. When producer lost me in Vegas that one time, <laughs> the following day, we absolutely went to In-N-Out Burger and he got me like a whole bunch of fries. Because fries are the perfect hangover food. Oh, yeah. So I had to include them. And I did sit in a very long uh, drive through before I came here and I was late. So I should have just thrown in the towel, but I didn't. You can't with, so. with things like this. So cheers. cheers. <laughs> it tastes like a root beer flute. What is better than a root beer flute? Nothing. And uh, people are going to get angry at us chewing and eating this whole first half. But you know what? Sometimes it has to happen. A root beer float is legitimately my favorite dessert. I'm interested to see what Miss Krista I thinks know. about <laughs> this one and how she's going to like it. We'll see if she goes all the way and like actually gets the fries she with might it. Not, because... But I mean, she's been on vacation, so Ooh. she might be feeling a little wry. Mm. So... Allie, what do you know about the Sutherland sisters? So I know, I think there's seven of them because I think that there, it's an alliteration, seven Sutherland sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they were a circus act, I think for Barnum and Bailey for some of the time, which yeah. would be the most famous circus. And I know that they have extraordinarily long hair, but those are the only things. Perfect. I don't know. Well, maybe they had a music mm-hmm. routine. But I don't know. I really, I wish I knew more about them. So I'm about to learn. Mm-hmm. So let's yes, do it. You Did are. you run out of white paper? No, <laughs> you are a fool. I was <laughs> rushing like crazy today because I had so many jobs. And then I like got home. I like got my reports out and I wasn't even looking and I hit print. And then I was like, all right, well, that's printing. I'm going to let the dogs out in the backyard. So I run down, do that. I come back up. And it's just printing on yellow paper because I have, I like use yellow paper a lot. So it was stacked because I don't, I don't take the other paper you out. Just put it on top. I just put it on yeah. top because I'm a lunatic. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah. So half of my story is yellow, but that's okay. <laughs> so I got most of this information from an episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class because when I finish this story, you will be shocked at how short their Wikipedia page is. Their Wikipedia page is like, they had long hair, and that's like it. But their story is bananas. We need to the a extreme. log into Wikipedia. We really do. I need to fix this. Um, so yeah, so I got it from there, and just a couple of, like internet articles and stuff like that. Um, so Sarah, Victoria, Isabella, Grace, Naomi, Dora, and Mary Sutherland were born on a small farm up in upstate New York between 1845 and 1862 to parents Fletcher and Mary Sutherland. Fletcher, good name. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into all their birthdays. Just know that Mary Sutherland was pregnant for about 17 years straight. Uh, and they did have one brother <laughs> named Charles, Aww. who was somewhere in the middle. Um, I feel very bad for him, especially when we talk about where their story goes. He's totally left out. He's totally left out. Um, so... The girls grew up on a struggling turkey farm, and from an early age, they learned how to work hard, which they definitely had to because Fletcher was not a farmer by trade. (laughs) He had inherited the farm from his father, and frankly, he was just not good at it. So he felt his real calling was the church, and for many years, he served as the minister for the local Episcopalian church. He then was like, oh, wait, I don't actually like, like church. I like public speaking. (laughs) So it was a real evolution for him personally. Mm. Uh, So he then became a public speaker, and he actually worked as a speaker for President 
James Buchanan's presidential campaign. Really? At like some a, point. He was the speaker or the speech writer? I don't. I think he was like going out and like, you know, how like because they were like horse and buggies back then, like the president couldn't be anywhere. So I think he was like going to places and speaking on his behalf as like, we're going to have a campaign rally and I'm going to like tell you all about his platform, tell you all about him so you can go out and vote for him. Hmm. That was what I understood of it. So if somebody knows more about those ancient elections, uh, let me know because ancient. it just said speaker. I know he wasn't like speaker of the house or anything because it didn't work in DC. He was like a campaign manager. Kind of. Yeah. I don't know. So it's really interesting. Um, so I don't know exactly when that was, but I know that for most of the girls' lives, they were not wealthy by any means. But they did have one valuable thing that was the envy of everyone else in this small town, their long, luxurious hair. So genetics definitely played a part, but Mother Mary doted upon the girl's hair from a very young age, tending to every strand with a homemade hair tonic, which worked wonders, but apparently smelled awful really yeah and it's like what's all the use of that like pretty hair if it smells really bad and the girls were very aware of this they were teased at school and they would hide when company came over and I just being a girl who like I definitely smelled in like middle school like come on most girls most most people do at that age it's impossible not to um, and I just feel so bad for them because that is the worst feeling when you're like, I know that I smell, especially if your parents are like encouraging it and you can't stop it because your parent is doing it. Yeah. You know, like, it's not even like, this is just how I smell. This is like, my mom is doing this thing to me and it's making me smell terrible. Yeah. I told Liza her hair was getting cult long and we're going to have to do something <laughs> about it. I was like, dress her in all white, send her off to the desert. <laughs> I was like, girl, you look good, but any longer and you're in a cult. So we got to cut it soon. It's true. Um, I also feel like that's how everyone saw them and how what people think when they first see them, because I feel like when you do see the girl with the really long hair and you're like, oh, well, our sister's also really long hair. You think it's like a religious fanatic thing. Um, and they were really involved with the church, but it wasn't really about that. Because, again, I don't think their dad was actually that religious. I think he just liked to speak in public. Okay. Um, so the hair was more so an obsession on their, like, mother's half. And they kind of inherited it. So it was kind of this thing of, like, I'm sure it's very tied up in, like, mother's approval. And, like, this would make mother happy. And, like, I can't cut it because it would break my mom's heart. And, like, so there's a lot of, like, psychological ties to the hair being pushed by the mother. Didn't a lot of women wear their hair up back then, though, wasn't it? Yes. Not seen as appropriate to have your hair out and down? Nope. And we are going to get into that okay. in a little bit. Okay. Um, but they did participate a lot in church. Uh, the girls were all very musically gifted, so they would play instruments and sing in the church from a very young age. Um, and then around 16, 1867, when the youngest daughter, Mary, was about two or three, Mother Mary, who was 43, dies suddenly of dropsy, which is this disease that makes your body, like your whole body, like swell up, leaving Fletcher with eight children to take care of. All by himself. All by himself. And all that hair. Yeah. So he decided to take a chance and kind of redirect the family. He said, okay, 
You know how you guys can play like music and shit? Well, get better. You know how like you have the long hair thing? Just keep it up. But that tonic has got to go because you all smell terrible. We're going on the road. <laughs> so come on, Osborne. <laughs> the family packs up their belongings and they start touring with their musical act. At first, it was just like around local counties to like churches. And then it was like to small theaters. And then they were doing like big fairs and stuff like that. Is this like vaudevillian almost? Yes. Okay. And so they start getting pretty popular with the 13-year-old Naomi as the absolute standout. Is she the youngest? She, no, she's like right in the middle. Oh, so she's not MJ. No, no, no. Okay. But she's absolutely the best singer. And she's getting like all these really positive reviews written specifically about her. So over the next 10 years or so, their touring area kept getting larger and larger and their hair was getting longer and longer. And the hair ended up eclipsing the rest of the show. And they really started to dramatize the whole effect. So they would be singing their whole set and they'd wait until the last song when things are like really getting heated and they'd let all their hair down at once and let it cascade down to the floor while they're like belting out Mamma Mia. Not obviously Mamma Mia. Right. But I know what you meant. You know what I mean? They were in the middle of defying gravity and it happened. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And people would literally like gasp at the finale of the show. They were so amazed because like you were saying, this is the late 1800s. So Victorian morales were very in style, which meant that when women got to be of marriageable age, not even married, just like marriageable age, their hair went up and never came back down. This was the era of like the Gibson girl. So think like sweeping up dudes that were very elegant. I mean, all I can picture is people with their hair up and tucked in and tucked under and with a bonnet. And it's like, I know some of that drags over from like the 1700s, but you know, you didn't see women with their hair down. No, you didn't. So a woman wearing her hair down was seen as like pretty sexual and radical for the time. And here are seven women doing it all at the same time. So not only is it exciting but it's like that exciting that like borders on like erotic okay yeah so were they fairly attractive they ranged (laughs) (laughs) but i also don't know because sometimes like i feel like pictures of women back then like maybe didn't do them justice you know because obviously some of them were more attractive than the others um like i think uh dora was the one that was seen as the most attractive okay um but but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. I but either it. way, it's like when you see like something sexual like that, it almost doesn't matter because it's still those same like feelings. Yeah, you know? I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I saw a Twitter like article that went up that was like um, what people would have looked like today based on their portraits. And it just modernized <gasps> old like kings and queens and stuff. And some of them I was like, damn, like they were really cute when they gave somebody like you know, producer's hairdo and and a casual suit instead of that stupid shit they had on in the portrait. (laughs) You were like, oh, all right. Now I see. I love it. I really want to look that up now. Um, Because I think it would be really interesting to do it then too because again, like, their hair was just so much. (laughs) Like, because there's one sister um, who like, you know, I think it might be Naomi who she like, she has kind of bangs in the front, but they're like, it looks like a poodle on top of her head. She because they're curly. Bangs. They're like curly. And so it kind of looks like a poodle. And then just like 
a river of hair. So, uh, well, I mean, obviously we're going to post like a ton of photos of these women because they look wild. But, um, so, but as this became the focus, they did have to make one sacrifice. Poor Charles. He was a part of the band at this point and they kicked him out so they could dub themselves the seven wonders. And this is when they really start to lean on that for ad- advertisement as well. And there's this great poster for an upcoming show of theirs. And I'm going to read off the poster because it's bananas. And this is all on one sheet. <laughs> seven wonders of the world. Seven long-haired sisters. Seven songsters. Seven eccentric ladies. Seven accomplished musicians. Seven refined and educated ladies. Seven sisters. All of one family. Seven models of beauty and womanly grace. Seven ladies with 49 feet of hair. Seven feet of hair each. Seven ladies with hair four inches thick. Who are they trying to tell? <laughs> Someone who does not know the number seven, apparently. <laughs> it- I want them to pose as the seven deadly sins so bad. One each of them. I can't believe they didn't capitalize on that. I'm wrath. Um, <laughs> who's gluttony? Um, but yeah, it... Like, I just love that poster. It's so wild. I love that. Like, all of one family. It's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're sisters. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so the truth is, though, they didn't actually have seven foot long hair each. Some girls had slightly shorter hair. And it ended up being about 37 feet of hair total. Victoria had the longest at seven feet. And Sarah, the oldest sister, only had hair that was about three feet long, which is still, like, really fucking long. But it's like, get it together, sis. You're really bringing down the mood of the show. It's double my hair length. Why Was she <laughs> cutting hers or was it just less healthy? I think it was less healthy. Okay. Because, mm. like, there are some people that, like, their hair will literally just never grow any further. My hair can't get longer than this. Yeah, exactly. I cut so, the dead ends. I never go and get it professionally cut ever. This is the length of my hair. I think that's just it. I, I wish my weight would do months. that. <laughs> this is my weight I don't do anything and it stays put uh, so now that we have their hair length sorted out let's meet the seven wonders we have Sarah who is again the oldest and really the leader of the group Sarah with an H or no H yes. oh Sarah <laughs> um, and she had actually taught piano for a bit before the group really got off the ground Uh, She was also known as the most pious, and she always carried a Bible with her. Victoria, with the longest hair, was the second oldest. She was known for being the most concerned about the group's wardrobe and her love of finer things, which she could get away with because she had the longest hair. So it's like kind of weird power dynamics in this family. (laughs) The longer your hair, the more respect you got. Exactly. Okay. Then we have Isabella, who, fun fact, Many think was not actually a Sutherland sister. So maybe that claim of them not being off in the same family was not true. (laughs) She really didn't look like the rest of them. She had more sharp features. um, And there were always rumors that she was really a cousin or just a girl that Fletcher and Mary adopted from another family. Um, Or an affair baby. Exactly. So there were some speculations and historians like, Normally, we'll just kind of throw this kind of thing out the window because people like to talk, but they give a little more credence to this theory just because her birthplace is actually listed as a different county than the other sisters. It's a close one, but just a little over. And she it's weird that she's Eagleton. the only one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one. Intriguing, but we'll really never know for sure. The hospital that um, she was supposed to be born in 
was infested with raccoons. So (laughs) then we have Grace, who is known as the chatterbox of the family, which meant she served well as the family's chief negotiator, both between the sisters and in business. She also had the lightest hair of them all. Um, It was more of an auburn shade, which also made her stand out. Then there's Naomi, who, as we discussed earlier, had the best singing voice. And then we have Dora, who was known as the most beautiful sister. But she was also quite an explorer. mm -hmm. (laughs) She was also the most charming. And she had the greatest business sense of the sisters, which will come into handy later when they expand their brand. And then there's the youngest poor mary probably the only sister to never really know their mother and also the one plagued with the most problems she didn't really add much to the band because she wasn't so naturally musically inclined okay she wasn't a great singer so she just kind of i don't know she was in the claps. chorus line. She was a tambourine yeah. player, oh. if you know what I'm saying. Sorry um, all the tambourine players out there. <laughs> You're wanted and needed, and we love you. Specifically um, in Protestant churches. Please. <laughs> How will the flag girls know their cues without the tambourine? <laughs> it's important. So, and she was also the most difficult to deal with because she was prone to drastic mood changes and wild tantrums. Which, lead many, which leads many historians to believe that she suffered from some sort of mental illness. Oh, um, poor they baby. did take Mary to the doctors a few times, but their diagnosis was not helpful. They were like, well, her hair's too long. And all the sisters are like, well, we all have that length hair. Like, and also, like, we can't really cut it. Like, we're making money this way, right, you know? This is what we do. They should have shaved it on stage oh as an God. event the big big retirement finale seriously um but yeah and they just like were like yeah it's just too much weight on her head it's pulling her scalp and she's not doing okay and they're like i don't know you know if that's the issue they but, were smarter than the doctors that's yeah <laughs> but in reality it was probably just undiagnosed mental illness made worse by the fact that she had six feet of hair attached to her head that she couldn't cut and was constantly on stage and in the public's eye and no mom so, she's a child star She's she, a child star. Well, and also, I think that there's a lot of stuff going on there with the fact that, like, she never knew her mom because she died when she was, like, two years old. And then she, everyone's telling her, like, probably stories about the mom and how she would do this to their hair. And, like, hair is tied up in the mother. It's tied up in the family. It's tied up in money now. Like, I think it's a lot of psychological things that the weight not only, the hair not only puts on weight of, to the body, but, like, weight on the mind. Right. Like, I think it was a mix of, like, physical discomfort and like mental heaviness i agree i mean it's like the mickey mouse club some of them are doing fine ryan gosling nice you're doing great britney spears quite a mess quite a mess but free britney hers we have to cover her on the podcast because my girl if you all don't know what's going on with britney like get onto her instagram soon and immediately there's also like all these conspiracy theories going on like someone was like i someone commented on one of her posts that was like Hey, Brittany, like, are you okay? Like, if you're not okay, like, wear a yellow shirt in the next video. And she did. She's Isn't not that okay. wild? She is wild. I don't know. But I do know that, like, I sorry, this Britney is Britney Spears. Spears' corner. I love her, too. Because <laughs> um, I know, like, she doesn't have control over, like, any of her assets. Well, I mean. It's wild. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her dad's her executor, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but I know she like seems to be like spending a lot of time with her kids and stuff and they seem happy, but, but like really how is Kevin Federline? How <laughs> the amount I Google him is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I see this as like a childhood star thing. You know, her older sisters may have chosen this, but Mary did not choose this. No, she and didn't. I, I know like once you're in it, you're kind of in it with a family band like that. But like Mary was the least prepared for it. She didn't have the mother brushing her hair and like training her into this idea because she died when she was so young exactly Ugh, what a shame so um but despite some of mary's issues they really got their act nailed down over the years and by 1880 they had made their broadway debut shut up <laughs> they're on broadway shut up. <laughs> well new york you're wild they're really wild um, and it's getting to the point where they're like chase you down the street famous. They have crazy fans. Oh, yeah. And of yeah. course, when you're famous for your hair, that's what people want to get a hold of. They touch you. They touch their hair constantly. They had people like stand by them and then like they look out of the corner of their eye and they'd like bring a pair of scissors out of their pocket <gasps> to like cut their hair. And they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get the hell away from me. Isn't that because back then didn't people take locks of hair of people they love? That's also true because we're in a weird time where like hair was also a big family keepsake thing. Like people had like hair family trees. Where- my mom has my first haircut in a Ziploc <laughs> bag. No. Yes, she does. All of us. Ew, that's right? Weird. It's I, so I, weird. I think that's weirder than the teeth. I understand your first tooth. Your mom has umbilical cords. That's weird, and I don't like it because I definitely almost ate it when I was a child because I thought it was a raisin. I which maybe that's why I don't eat raisins now. My first kid lost their <laughs> tooth, and me and producer are looking at it. He's like, "What do you want to do with it?" <laughs> Pop the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Fuck this tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good tooth fairy. No. I give money, but I don't keep them to build a palace. Nobody is. (laughs) Um, Okay. This is so So, awful. (laughs) um, They also had a lot of people offering them like tons of money for their hair. Uh, The most amount they were offered was (gasps) $2,500. That's a lot back then, right? Mm -hmm. That is $77,000 in today's money. Shit, I'd take it. I would shave my whole damn body for that. Eyebrows and all. 77,000. Yeah. They said no to most of these requests, but they would sell like individual strands of hair sometimes. Um, There's this one famous strand of hair, which they sold to a local jeweler. And he used it to hang a diamond from. And he put it in like his shop window. It's like an advertisement. Oh, my God. Sutherland's <laughs> sister hair diamond. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm obsessed with the fact that that exists. I know. But they are also getting a lot of attention from talent agents and people who worked on the vaudeville circuit. And, of course, circus entrepreneurs. In 1882, they signed a contract with a small circus company, but after two years on the road with them, they made it big time with a gig with Barnum and Bailey's in 1884. Oh, man. They were billed as a sideshow, but they were like a classy, refined sideshow. So I kind of like to think of it as the Beauty and the Beast performances at Disney. You might like stop by and see some of like the characters walking around or like, you know, some little things because it's like fun and kitschy. But this show is an experience. It's shorter, but 
the people are all like Broadway trained, like singers and actors and stuff. Like right. you're seeing kind of like a mini Broadway show just in the middle of a Disney theme park. Exactly. And that's kind of what this was. I mean, they were literally a Broadway act coming to the circus. So, and this is what makes the Sutherland sisters so important to the history of the circus itself. Because the circus is typically seen as like a really lowbrow form of entertainment. It was cheap and everything in it was fairly cheap too. Especially because a lot of it wasn't real. (laughs) (laughs) Or was exploiting people. But the Sutherland sisters were there to change that perception. And they had actually started to draw in more wealthy customers because it was an honor to go see them. There's more highbrow people coming in. Yes. Okay. So... And what goes better with a classy sideshow than some classy as merchandise? While the girls had been improving their act and taking the world by storm, Papa Fletcher was behind the scenes because he's still around, mind you. Um, he was developing his own hair tonic to sell at their shows. He said it was based off of his late wife's recipe, um, which, of course, birthed the generous locks that you would see on stage, but now without the odor of death. <laughs> Thankfully, he did send it to a chemist before selling it. He wanted to make sure it wasn't going to like make people's hair fall out. <laughs> um, and it also doesn't hurt to throw a guy a couple of bones to give your product a nice, healthy endorsement. So Dr. Duff, which was his real name, cheerfully endorsed this hair tonic, which was made of rum featured in the cocktail. <laughs> French fry oils. (laughs) French fry oils. Um, It was rum, distilled witch hazel water, salt, hydrochloric acid, and magnesium. Just in case you wanted to make it a no. So he's trying. I kind of do now. I know. So he's trying to get this new business venture off the ground, and a man named Harry Bailey enters the picture. So he's some kind of part of the Barnum and Bailey family, but I don't know exactly how he fits in. But we do know that he right now is currently dating Naomi Sutherland. So in law. Mm-hmm, so he and Fletcher start the Sutherland Sisters Corporation and they start applying for the trademarks to start selling their products. It was a product called the Lucky Number Seven Seven Sutherland Sisters Hair Grower. <laughs> And it costs 60 cents for four ounces, which is about $15 today. And the price was very specific because it was priced so that middle class women and even some lower class women could kind of save up and afford it. But so that upper class women would think like, oh, that's an expensive oil. Exactly. So it was right at that median point where it hit all the classes of women supply and demand because this is the whole thing like if you're a wealthy person like you're not going to buy cheap products because you think that they're cheap yeah so if it's expensive like that kind of gives you that message of like oh it's going to be worth it yeah they are very smart they are smart what's it called there's that the supply and demand curve chart the middle sections the equilibrium point yes like they hit that that fulcrum baby if you're an economist (laughs) we're looking for an official economist answers our podcast (laughs) and within the first year of the corporation they sold ninety thousand dollars worth of their hair product Back like, then, money ninety thousand. Uh huh. Holy shit! Which is two point two five million dollars today. Yeah, but like split seven. Yeah, ways. split seven ways. <laughs> um, 
And a year after that, Naomi and Harry were married because they're in the money. But within a a few years of their product empire taking off, in September 1888, Papa Fletcher passes away at the age of 73. Oh, no. no. He's like the head dude. And here's the thing is like a lot of people wrote about him as being kind of like this exploitative guy and making money off of his daughters and being kind of like a scumbag. So stage dad. He was. Yeah. People thought he was a stage dad. And I'm sure he was in some capacity. But when people died, they were like, okay, well, now the girls are really going to get some respite from the stage. They're going to get fucking out of this life. But it was quite the opposite. They only worked harder to improve their act and product line. They added skincare products, a scalp cleanser, a special comb, and even a range of hair dyes. I mean, I didn't even know that women were dyeing their hair back in the 1800s. I'll tell you what, you don't like those grays, girl. You have to get rid of them. Now they're in. <laughs> I can't wait to start. I just, I want to go gray like classy. You know what I'm saying? Like Melissa Villasenaro. I think it's all in your genes, girl. Mm. I don't know if that happens. I don't know. I feel like my dad's got a real nice salt and pepper. So maybe like maybe I'm going to get his hair. I think my Mm. mom has a good salt and pepper, but she also put blonde streaks in it so you can't see it. Oh, interesting. She's a little 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 fox. She's (laughs) sly. So, uh, okay, they have the hair dye. They have the comb. And fun fact, around this time, they also opened up an ice cream shop. Which is why we had ice cream in our drink. Needed to Ben and Jerry's. Uh huh. <laughs> Which is funny because it kind of reminded me of like Emma Goldman. Like <laughs> we we almost need to put it on the bingo board. Like random ice cream shop. <laughs> there have been a couple women that have, was that just a thing? I think it was just like an easy thing that people really liked because. Tell me a little place where an ice cream shop wouldn't do well. I mean, come on, everybody loves it. Get a creamery. Get a creamery. It's, it's a bona fide, a... bona fide money-making machine. And it's essential. Exactly. <laughs> but they knew that they were the main attraction for selling this product. So they put themselves all over the product, like pictures of them, whatever, their names. And like for marketing, they would even go to shops and pose in the windows. <laughs> oh, like live people? Yes. Oh my gosh, somebody used to do that in Towson. Really? Yes, they had an actress do it across from the Wrecker Theater. That's like exactly what this was. So they would put her in the, they would put themselves in the windows, but the police had to put a stop to it because people were like coming in like these huge crowds just to see them in a window. Like it, and it was like causing like traffic jams. You didn't even have cameras. You didn't even have cars. What are you doing? (laughs) The horses can't move. (laughs) So they would also like once they had to stop doing that they would kind of go around and do live demonstrations of their products so like i feel like they're like not only the original avon girls but also like the original like telemarketing tele, like not telemarketing <laughs> what is it infomercials yeah they had live person infomercials like look at her hair it's so long like but wait but wait there's more <laughs> it's only 50 cents <laughs> if you buy now um <laughs> 50 cents right now and a hundred dollars a month for the rest of your life exactly <laughs> So they also started selling Sutherland Sisters memorabilia, such as playing cards. They also had amazing taglines for their products, and they eventually opened up offices all over the United States and in Canada and Cuba. 
Damn. They're moguls. So their business keeps growing and the sisters are now bona fide millionaires. So what do you do when you're a millionaire? You build a mansion, of course. So the girls went back to their hometown of Cambria in upstate New York and built a giant mansion on the turkey farm they grew up on. It had bedrooms for each sister, a marble lavatory with hot and cold running water, a turret and a cupola, imported fine furniture, massive chandeliers, black walnut woodwork, and hardwood floors. But did it have a solarium? No, but it did have a giant home office. Okay, what about a conservatory? <laughs> now I'm just thinking of clue things. What else is on Probably. the Probably. Did it have um, a ballroom? But we'll never know. <laughs> Um, so why did it burn down? Yes, it did. Shit. <laughs> oh no. The story's gonna get real dark real fast. Oh, can't we? So this is shoots and ladders. Yes, it is. <laughs> this story is wild. So this move marked the height of their wealth, but also the beginning of their decline. Even though they had literally like never been apart since basically birth, once the girls were all together in one house like this, their strange behavior became very apparent. They would throw these massive parties and invite people from all over to come. There'd be drinking and dancing and they'd put on big firework shows. But when everyone went home, the party didn't stop. They would drink harder, dance longer and bring out the drugs and start doing witchcraft and they would partner swap. So these are just like (laughs) a group of pretty much best friends. Who are definitely swinging. Yes. And their sisters. Yes. And they're dabbling with some witchcraft. Yes. All right. Okay. Where's so my now invite? we all are on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I had to give a bulleted list of what I just heard. They would also like ride their bikes around the yard in their bathing suits and they loved their menagerie of pets. <laughs> the animals were fed the finest steak and chicken and wore handmade sweaters and slept on silk beds. Do so they have peacocks though? Probably. Okay. They needed peacocks. If you're I gonna be guarantee a wild you they did. <laughs> people, you need peacocks. But and like even when a pet died, the sisters would put obituaries in the local paper. One read, deceased canine will have first class funeral. And he did. You know, follow through, follow through. But there were some darker aspects to it. Um, Mary had her issues. So when she would get really out of control, they would put her in her room which had a lock from the outside and a slot for them to just put her food through. Shit, that's like the Umbrella Society. Do you watch that? No, but I really want to. Yeah. The problem is Casey, fiance, he watches like secret shows at night when so he can't sleep. So he's seen sleep. it already. So he has seen all these shows that I want to watch, but I can't stay up that late. So I feel like I don't want to ask him to watch it again. Well, season two is coming, so he might okay. want to rewatch. Okay, so maybe we'll start with the first season because right now we just finished season two of You. So and good, right? Out, so good. But we're out of like, because like our traditional thing, which I know I've said on the podcast, is we watch like an hour long TV show that's like a dramatic one. And, and then, then we watch something fun for like we watch like two or three episodes of that. But now what we're doing is watching House Hunters International and Just Shoot Me and just those two shows. It's not, it's not enough. It's not enough because... I mean, it's really fun. We're having a great time. What the fuck did people but, do before they had endless TV like Netflix? Who knows? Did they have more they sex? They watched infomercials. Less sex? Books? What mm, happened? I don't know. 
It couldn't have been more sexy no one because their know. kids were in the same no room. No one will Yeah, you're right, know. because it's not on TV. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and then Naomi, the main attraction, died suddenly. Oh, shit. Shortly after moving into the house. The voice. Yep, the voice. She was only 39, and she what did left she die behind. of? I don't know. They said it was kind of, like, like very quick and mysterious. So Overdose. I don't know. Uh, probably. Um, she left behind poor Harry and their three children. So mind you, there were children living in this house with all this debauchery. Okay, well, gotta learn. They somewhere. had a good time. Um, <laughs> they were up, but late. the family like didn't handle death very well or unless it was their, should pets. I say like, yeah, appropriately. Okay. So they decided for their dear departed sister, they were going to build her this beautiful mausoleum on the grounds. Totally understandable. But the thing never got built. So Naomi was just like in the house and they didn't have a morgue on site. So her corpse was just in the house for like a long ass time before. Rotting? Yeah. Before they were just like, okay, like we'll just bury her in the yard because her body's like decomposing. We can't have that. (gasps) So she's in an unmarked grave. Oh my God. And then they still had to make money. So they hired a replacement sister. After some auditions, they ended up hiring a woman named Anne Louise Roberts with nine feet of hair, just coming in out hot, just showing everybody up. And they continued touring and stuff. And just pretended it was their sister? Or did they say it was a replacement? I think they just pretended. That's really inappropriate. Yes, it is. Oh, man. Then things get even crazier when a man named Frederick Castlemaine enters the picture. When he starts dating Dora. So him and Dora are dating. But suddenly out of nowhere. He marries Isabella. <laughs> Wait. So he's dating one of the sisters. And then marries the subin or another sister. Another sister. Okay. Not the subin. So these two sisters are definitely related. And definitely like sleeping with the same man. Because he still was kind of dating Dora. When he even after he married Isabella. So, but there was already partner swapping. Yes. So okay. this only like increased the rumors. They're like, okay. Um, and it was also scandalous because Isabella was 10 years older than Frederick, mm. but he fit right in because he also kind of had a drug habit. Oh, and I his- thought you were going to say long hair. <laughs> no. Like, oh, man <laughs> and he had his own eccentric practice of shooting his gun off the front porch at nothing. So he just... Really was having a good time in this mansion. He's a two-star kind of guy. Yes, he is. But this was all very short-lived because this is going to be upsetting. Um, While the group was touring, Frederick, on tour, committed suicide. No. Yes. Well, with guns? He overdosed. Overdosed. I think. That was like, that's like the consensus, but there's no real record of it. So we don't know. He might have shot himself. He might have done. But he left a note. Like a, I think I don't like that's the thing because I feel like if it's overdose you can't know that it's suicide. Yeah, oh, what but a that's shame. Like the whole thing is like because like all their their house burned down, all their records burned. So like we really like there's some things that we might have had answers to that we don't anymore. Okay, so they went home and kind of similar to Naomi, they left his body in the house, but they snow whited him this time. They put him in a glass like box. And Stalined him. They say yes. <laughs> so they he could await a proper burial. 
Um, and while he was waiting in this glass box, the girls would sing to him every day. Um, but again, this is not a cold environment that corpses prefer. And, and it's not like they like put fluid in him. No, they, right, they, they just did, like left blood muscle. Did not embalm him okay. at all. That's the word. <laughs> so after a couple of weeks, the authorities were called because the smell of Frederick's riding corpse was sweeping the neighborhood. From the house? From inside the house. Can how you imagine how bad it smelled in there? I bet their nostrils had been burned out by chemicals. I bet because there's like, I don't understand how you could live in a house with the smell of a rotting corpse. Thankfully, I've never smelled one. Hopefully, never do. But have you smelled like a rotting animal corpse in the city? Like if yeah. you go past a rat it's or bad. something? And that's a teeny tiny. It's tiny. Yeah. So uh, they did finally bury him in his brand new mausoleum. Not going to lie. I think it's kind of fucked up that he got one and Naomi didn't. Were they jealous of her? I don't know. Maybe I think, they were just being irresponsible. Maybe, they weren't ready. Maybe. So um, several of the other sisters would also be interred here eventually. But all of the sisters were like really fucking broken up, broken up over Frederick. Like, they were all really upset. How many of them were sleeping with him? At least two. Who knows? At least two, maybe more. Okay. And Isabella mourned for two years. Shit. Yeah. So, a little while after this, Victoria finally got married to a hot, young 19-year-old when she was 50. Damn, she is robbing the serious cradle. Absolutely. But, for some reason, the sisters did not like him. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't nice. Maybe he just wasn't into drugs and swinging like Frederick. I don't know. But it caused a huge rift. I mean, I've and... met an annoying person that I just don't <laughs> like. Right. But they kicked Victoria out of the fa- out of the mansion and the family and the band. She's the second they oldest, ki- right? Yeah. 52 they years old. They kicked her out and she had the longest hair. So this is like really serious because she went from being top dog to being literally kicked out. Because of her 19-year-old boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Pick a new boyfriend. I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah, she's kicked out of the band, the mansion, the family. She's replaced and she like never really reconciles with her sisters and she dies in 1902. And that's just it. Just that's away it from for Victoria. Them. Yeah, away from them. So she is not in the mausoleum. Um, and after another one bites the dust. Exactly. <laughs> what do we do? So there's two dead now. Two dead now. Okay. Plus a boy. Plus a boy. So, but after Victoria's death and I think all the family unpleasantness, Mary got even worse and she was starting to make threats against the sisters. So she started spending like really long periods of time locked up in her room. Oh. Yeah. But they're locking. Yeah. Oh, because the lock is on the outside. Right. So they're locking her in and just being like, we cannot deal with you. So Mary's just alone in her room. And I'm sure they forget to feed her. Yeah, for sure. And then after the next few years, Sarah and Isabella would also pass away. So the group is like really falling apart. And by this time, we're getting into the 1920s. And you know what's in? Short bobs. And you know what's out? Victorian hair. Yo, they should have cut all their hair and sold it while they had the chance. So now they can't really tour anymore because half the group is dead and their hair care products aren't needed because no one is really interested in hair fertilizer to get six foot long hair. Like nobody wants that. So 
Dora, Mary, and Grace, the three remaining sisters, end up traveling to California to try and make it on the silver screen. They attempt to sell their life story to a movie production company because that's all they have left at this point. But it doesn't really go well. And then Dora dies while they're on the road and they just kind of bury her out there. And then it's just Grace and poor Mary. And they just like don't know like what to do. And did they not have any like savings? Like no, they blew left over? it. They blew it all. On parties and alcohol Parties and in this mansion. Okay. Just everything. Then in the 30s, they finally had to just abandon the mansion, which mysteriously burned to the ground just a few years after. And of course, just taking all these family records. So all these little questions we have, like we don't really know the answer because it probably burned. Mary passed away a year after the house burned down in 1939 while living in an insane asylum. And Grace passed away in 1946 at the age of 92. By the time Grace died, she was completely destitute, and she was just buried in a field. Just alone. Just alone. And that is the rise and the fall of the seven wonders, the seven Sutherland sisters. That's so wild. I mean, was do we know, was Mary in an asylum in New York? Because that's like yeah. where Nellie Bly was. Yeah. Like, that's the type of shit she was living through, if you listen to our Nellie Bly episode. Yeah. Asylums were not so, a good place back then. It's not like she was being treated well by her sisters either. No, but then it's like it brings up the question is like, what is better? Is it being locked up in a room with your family or is it being abused being by being doctors? Abused by doctors? I, it's knows? like, again, all these like unanswerable questions. But but yeah. What a roller coaster. Seriously, wild ride. Yeah. I feel like I just sat through a three ring circus. <laughs> just like a circus back to Brittany uh yeah that Um, was that was really crazy um god I feel so badly for them what a weird no they had it fun for a little bit they did they had a really good time for a while but it also sucks because again they could have they just had no idea that long hair was going to go out of style so like Mm. I feel like the hair product company was their backup plan they're like oh well even if we can't tour anymore, like whatever, we always have the business. But then when nobody wanted long hair anymore, it was like, oh shit, we don't have a business. Came back in in nobody the 90s fucking wants with this. the totally mm-hmm. hair Barbie. <laughs> Highest selling Barbie of all time. That's wild. You ready for uh, more drinks? I'm ready for more drinks. Let's more, do it. More drinks, more fries. <laughs> more fries. Um, so today we realized there's no emoji with the hands on the hips. Yeah. And I really feel like there should be. I know if there's a shruggy girl, like eh, there should be a, hmm, there absolutely know? should be. Cause I really wanted to use it today because I, I don't know if I told you like my last three jobs totally were in shambles and everybody and was like, late. Right. And like throwing you well, off. And the thing was like the one client that I was at, I was sitting outside of his house for 10 minutes because he was like, well, we're going to be coming back home from vacation. So like to let you in. And I said, okay. So like I'm waiting there and then he never comes. So I called him and he was like, oh no, we're coming back way later. Uh, I just thought you were going to go in. I was like, really? Because you never gave me the code to get into your house. So like, why did you ever think that? And you also said, great, we'll be home at two 30. 
So you waited around. You could have gone early in the morning. I could have gone any time today. That's so, so frustrating. So that's when you need the hips emoji. That's when I need the hips. Hmm. And then I couldn't find the second house because it was buried deep in the woods. And then the third house, the lockbox wasn't working. It was like, oh, such a mess. And I would have been done an hour before if all of these things hadn't happened. And I'm like, fuck that. The second house was a serious Hansel Gretel situation. Yeah, really. I was, pr- <laughs> and also it was weird because, like, it was just like a weird setup of a house too, which also made me think of Hansel and Gretel. So, yeah, I was deep in the woods, not okay. Um, I'm gonna get murdered someday. I know. Um, but, but you'll be back. on Unsolved Mysteries. It'll well, be great. Welcome back. That's true. Welcome back. We're back with new cocktails and a new story, and we're so excited to bring it to you. And the cocktail's so different this week. It last, is. Last week, I'm really excited, because last week they were, like, almost identical. Yeah. And this week, it's just, like, a stark opposite. Polar opposite. So do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. This cocktail, also an alliteration, because I knew Ooh. your girls were going to be alliteratory. I don't know if that's a word, but it's called The Girl Guide. Ooh. And it's two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of orange juice, a half an ounce of fresh lemon juice, a half an ounce of honey mm. and a dash of salt Ooh. with a lime wedge to garnish oh, cheers, cheers. Mm. i've never had salt with bourbon only no. with tequila isn't it delicious i love it i mm. didn't i when it was like put salt like i was looking up some like african and Botswanian cocktails and a lot of them had honey and salt like the salt and the yeah. sweet and i was like well let me get some things that are really sweet like orange and lemon and then just like chuck a pinch of salt in it mm. now there's their real cocktails had like five pinches of salt oh that's a lot i wasn't ready <laughs> i wasn't ready maybe next time but not for this i yeah i really like it yeah so i was gonna say it reminds me kind of like a dawa cocktail mm-hmm. of like just like kind of basic ingredients but then we're gonna add some stuff yeah i like it and just like a lot of you know the lime and stuff and all that so it's delicious it's I an easy it. drink for a bourbon drink mm-hmm. it's easy to get through mm. so tell me what do you know about the all-female guides of Botswana? Uh, I don't know anything except that there are female guides in Botswana. I don't know, like, are they, like, safari guides? Like, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm guessing they have some sort of thing involving, like, taking care of animals and shit. Yeah. Um, um, that's exactly correct. Okay, great. So, <laughs> there's not a lot on these women. It's okay. a fairly new group, so I'm, I'm really – I just looked into – Botswanian history I looked into women's rights in Botswana and just tried to like paint a picture of what they're dealing with and then kind of like the the end point is like where they are now and the okay. great progress this is just a happy story awesome it's a good story that we need that yeah every once in a while it's just to be like hey this is what's going on and it's awesome mm. so that's where we are so Botswana is located in central southern Africa. It's literally right in the middle above South Africa. Okay. Just like almost like a big circle country. It's a very stable South African country that focuses on ecotourism because they have a lot of people that come there to visit the big beautiful animals. 70% of Botswana is the Kalahari Desert, which is the one desert underneath of the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. So Africa's got quite a few. It's home to the biggest concentration of elephants in Africa and one of the largest like deltas in the world. When you see those incredible pictures of like elephants walking through those watered areas, they're all from Botswana. And 
They have the largest diamond mine in the world as well. Oh, interesting. Which obviously boosts their economy, but also makes them prone to, or used to make them prone to colonialism. Oh. Uh, and they're about the size of Texas, but only 2 million people live there. Oh, wow. So small population, kind of big, yeah. and just prospering. So I want to give a super quick history, just bulleted list. Um, Botswana means home the, to the... Twisana people but first it was home to the Sands people who lived off the land and then the Bantu speaking people took control all in 600 before 600 AD mm -hmm. this is just a whole bunch of different tribes in Africa it's mainly an agricultural country and many other people began to move into Botswana to take their resources because okay. they just have a lot of really cool resources and it's great for agriculture. Lots of trades and battle and clashes over the land and their goods. And then Christian missionaries arrived, specifically David Livingstone, uh, who was like the most famous Christian missionary. <laughs> like he was all into figuring out the source of the Nile and like converting the people of Africa. Uh, and got very, very famous because of that. He's the classic rags to riches story that, you know, missionaries uh, go through. Bootstraps, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. <laughs> Biblical uh, bootstraps. I understand. <laughs> right. And he converts the chief of Botswana, who then in turn converts the country to Christianity. During the Boer War, which is like a South African, like, war over resources and colonialization, Botswana sided with the British, and therefore a, a lot of prospectors became com started coming to Botswana, and they didn't want to be a part of the British Empire and actually succeeded in not being an official colony, which is great, but it also meant that they didn't get as developed as other parts of Africa. They didn't get, like, railroads and shit because they weren't an official colony. So, okay. um, you know, there's some good and bad with that. They got their independence in 1966, and the British actually helped them to get on their feet. And then after the British helped them get on their feet, they found more diamonds, and the economy grew in the 70s and 80s. Like, Botswana's, like, living it large. Then the 90s hits, and it became a hot spot for HIV. Oh, no. And it is just, like, the shit there in terms of, like, the high percentages of oh HIV to population. However, today they are growing and industrializing with a vast amount of tourism to the wildlife reserves. So that's your quick okay. thousand-year history of Botswana. <laughs> <laughs> They're not a perfect place, however. When I, I did like a quick recap of women's history as well that I wanted to take you through. Okay. In 1996, the women of Botswana came together to discuss what to do about women's rights in their country. In their legal system, all women were regarded as a minors, and when they got married, they became a legal minor. Oh, oh. So, so no matter no. what, you're considered under 18. What? Yeah. Can you imagine being like 75 and being like, Oh, I'm sorry. You cannot buy that alcohol. You're a minor. One ticket to the ring, please. <laughs> no. Um, I'm sorry. You look to be a woman, so you are not allowed to see this rated R movie, which I'm sure it's like, obviously, it's more serious things than yeah, that. To but us, like, that's what being a minor is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, yeah. So every and then it's like, woman. we can't vote. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that, okay. that, that too. But also this, the pornography. You yeah. can't buy it. So <laughs> I'm concerned for you. <laughs> I want to tarnish your lungs. Um, so yeah, that, that was a big issue. So they That's met so to crazy. try to deal with that. I know. Illegal minor. Oh, my God. For your whole life. Women couldn't represent themselves in public arenas. So um, even though they were no longer a colonial power, women felt like they just switched male leaders. Okay, there was this this British male leader, and now I have this, you know, Botswanan male leader. I guess Botswani. I didn't really check into which one. <laughs> Most women felt that they had no claim to a role in political office either because it's like, well, if I'm a minor, I can't really run for government. So it's like, where's my representation? Yeah, really. What do I do? So the things that they're worried about are really similar to the United States in 96, actually. Hmm. They were worried about access to property, violence against women, access to decision-making positions, employment and healthcare, and stereotyping. It also just feels like what we've been concerned about for, I mean, so long. Hundreds and thousands of years. Like, these are the things we need. And the things that, like, so many people across the world just haven't gotten yet. Right. That are seen as, like, basic necessities. Like They are, but, I mean, and if you think about it in Botswana, there's two million people. Yeah. So it's a small enough population that you can make change. No, absolutely. And they have. (sighs) They have been pushing so hard. So the first thing they did was ratify the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Hmm. And then in 2008, they adopted the Domestic Violence Act, which criminalized many acts of gender-based violence and gave protection to the female citizens. Then they abolished the Marital Power Act in 2007, which made it so that the husband was not the sole administrator of the family estate. Okay. And then they actually got the Children's Act of 2009 passed, which put the mother's name on the birth certificate. Their name wasn't on the birth certificate? The person that birthed the baby was not in control of the child because they're a minor. Oh my God. That's, hold on. So, quick question. Yeah. If like a 16-year-old gives birth, she can still put her name on the birth certificate, right? In America. In America. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. I just wasn't sure if that like was also included because I've never really thought about like what that means, like what the minor status means for young mothers. Well, the minor I, status is really interesting because in America, what it means is responsibility. Okay. So they're the the mother can choose whether or not to put the father on there. Okay. Which means the father can be excluded from responsibility, which sometimes is really, really bad. Yeah. Because then they're not paying right. what they need to pay or they're not seen as responsible for the baby. Right. Um, it's like sometimes you have to to like protect yourself if like. Right. And remember, in our very, very first episode, Marilyn Monroe, we don't know who her father was because her mother (gasps) put somebody random on the birth certificate that wasn't. Yeah. And we've also um, done stories of women who like uh, Marie Laveau is just an ex. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Um, But I mean, I can't imagine being in a hospital and giving birth and the child being literally not mine. Legally. Yeah. Like, that's so bananas. It is. So a lot of that stuff has been fought in the country. The current struggles for Botswanian women are there are no 
technical limits for age in marriage. So a lot of times marriage is very, very young and so is childbearing. There's limited rights to funds in divorce cases and widows still can't get inheritance from their husband. What? So if your husband dies, his money does not go to his wife. Who does it go to? Who? I don't know, your son, somebody, a male male next of kin, I suppose. Three out of five women in Botswana have experienced some form of domestic violence. And there are obviously increased cases of murders against women by their partner because we see when men are not punished for their sexual behavior, they're also not punished for their violence. I'm sorry. I said this was going to be a happy story. I swear to God it is. And I was like, I'm real depressed right now, Allie. <laughs> this, is, this is really hard. I'm sorry. That was the wrong thing to I say. I feel like our stories are going to go opposite. I feel like mine was like, <laughs> they loved singing. Yeah. And then I was like, but then they died. Ooh. And yours is like, <gasps> here's the problem. This is the and problem. Let me tell you the best thing. But we're going to get good. Yeah. Um, also, just like in the United States, the majority of predators against women are not prosecuted or at the very least not convicted. And marital rape is not criminalized. And I saw the greatest thing on Instagram the other day that was like, I'm going to say right now, slipping a condom off secretly <gasps> is rape. Yeah. That's why have I ne- I've always spaced on that. Why? It- well, I also think it's because. And I'm going to say this, too. I think it's because, like, both you and I have never really been on the dating scene. Very true. In our adult lives. In our adult lives. Right. And I don't think about the fact that, like, women go through that of, like, covert what do you, condom switching. I, can you imagine? Which I don't understand. It's already, like, you've already started. Why, like... That kind of shit is like psychopathic. I don't understand it. It's bonkers. Especially because, mm, okay, mm, there's a lot of things I could say about it. but And, and I think it ties in terrible. with marital rape. People don't call it rape. Yes. And that's why I wanted to bring that up, that there are a lot of things that are considered sexual assault and rape and sexual battery that people are just like, oh, no, that just happens. Yeah. Like, it's like you're married. This like, isn't a party. Yeah, but I didn't, like, I said no, and right. it still happened anyways. Like, uh, I don't know. Domestic violence <sighs> is something that is just such an issue. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, I mean, currently, there, there are many issues, but women are starting to be represented. Seven of the 61 women, or seven of the 61 people on the National Assembly are women. Four of the 24 people in the cabinet are women, four of the 35 seats in the House, three of 13 federal judges, and of the 117 candidates for election in 2007, 10 were women. So they're on their way up. They are. They're they're working it out. They're getting women into the political sphere. It's not perfect, but they're trying. The biggest obstacles to overcome are early marriage and children, because obviously if you're having a baby at 14, what are your chances for education, for a prosperous career, everything just gets diminished. It's not impossible, but it's diminished. Um, Opportunities for employment, the prevalence of HIV, and also the lack of information circulation about women's rights. They're not circulating the information as heavily, so women don't know that they have that right to fight back. So in 1968, we're going to bump back in time now. That's present day. In 1968, Botswana decided we're going to create a national park 
and they created the first national park. They've only been free since 66. This is two years after they're free from Britain. They're like, you know what we can do to protect the Kalahari Desert and the elephants? Make a national park. Okay, Leslie, no. I know, right? (laughs) I know. Amazing. Right. Today, it's the largest concentration of elephants in the world. 130,000 elephants live in the Botswana National Parks. Um, Chombe is roughly 4,500 square miles, which is also one of the largest ones. So it's the first and largest. Botswana tourism, though, really took a forward approach. They decided that no matter what they did on their national parks, they're going to do it with conservation in mind. Wow. So they have recycling plants. They have water treatment plants. They have on-site biogas plants. And they use electric boats and land rovers to make sure that their animals are not dealing with all of these gases. Also, probably the electric land rovers are quieter so you don't scare the lions away. But, like, it's... So even though you're making money off of seeing these lions, it's still like you're also not polluting their air. You're not polluting their air. You're being quiet. You're not chasing away their prey when they're trying to hunt. I mean, sure, it still happens sometimes. Oh, sure. But it's so much because I also think we have a weird perspective because we're so used to like zoos. Right. Let me just go <laughs> to like, the zoo. There it is. Even the it's safari right there. in Disney World takes I know. you through a zoo. Yeah, on a exactly. <laughs> but... I think that's so cool from such an early stage to be like, hmm, maybe we should adapt to their current environment instead of making them adapt to our environment, which is so forward thinking. Because when were they doing this? In like the 70s? This is the 60s and 70s. That's so cool. That they're like, we're going to make this as easy on the animals as possible. We're going to try to conserve our environment. We're a big place with a few people. We can probably make this work. So they made some really cool decisions. So the the Chombe Game Park or Chombe National Park is actually most famous for hosting in 1975 Elizabeth Taylor's secret marriage. No. So she gets married there to uh, Richard Burton, who was also an actor. And they had both what? been married um, for like 10 years. And then they decide to break it off and get married in Chombe Game Park. They were in Cleopatra together, correct? Yes. In Botswana, so they're getting married there. Then they speak. They spend a five-week honeymoon there. You can see pictures of Elizabeth Taylor all over this park. It was like the best part of researching, other than the other great women I'm about to get. Yeah, yeah. But it was so cool. But then that marriage only lasts for nine months. But Mm. it's fine. We have got to do her story. I know. I know. But next season, she's such a big fish. Next season, we're only recommendations. So if somebody wants to recommend Elizabeth, we would love it. It'd be great. We'll put your oh name on the episode. And then we get to talk about Charlotte York's renaissance forever. Because of Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. So I just thought I would bring that up because I thought you'd love it. And I also, absolutely love it. If you want pictures of this national park, unfortunately, that's the most photographed that this park is because of <laughs> no. Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> now, there are a lot of pictures of the women that I'm about to get to. Okay, but great. It's just very funny. <laughs> so, our story, the official story I'm going to tell. Starts around 2004 when the Botswana Wildlife Training Institute, which is the government regulated college that certifies safari guides. You have to get like a college degree in it. It's a big deal. I love that because they're taking it seriously. They're like, you know what? If you're going to work with these precious, precious animals, you should really know what the fuck you're doing. 
And like you should have a background maybe. And not only these precious animals. But you're also taking innocent tourists into these danger zones with lions and elephants. And like you need to be ready for whatever shit is thrown at you. So it is a college course and a prestigious job. I love that too because like I feel like we don't talk enough about like the flora and fauna of these parks. So it's like, hey – that's right. I shouldn't go over there because that's where like the algae is, and we want to make sure that's good and tight. Um, for, I can't touch because that it, because that's where all of the food lies for this one specific bird that's half in- extinct. Exactly. When you know, you know. I didn't say it as eloquently as you, but <laughs> <laughs> so this institution calls Chombe Game Lodge, and they say, "Hey, listen." We have these two young women. They're graduating. Can you please just like take these women onto your guide team? And this is a big deal because like I said, guiding is a very prestigious career. You have to complete standardized courses. You have to do a camp placement. You have to take tests. You have to prove English skills because a lot of your tourists are going to speak English. You have to take like scholastic aptitude tests because you have to know about science. You have to know about plants. You have to know about animals. You have to know about habitats and climate and like all these things that these people in the tours are going to ask you. Right. You have to know. So when both of these women are sent to Chombe, and I think I'm saying that right, C-H-O-B-E, Chombe, right? C-H-O-B-E. Chombe. Chombe. I think right. Yeah. All right. When they go there, um, they do so well that the resort calls and asks for more women. (laughs) They're like, send us more. We want more girls. Uh, that's kind of how I feel about being a female radon inspector. Yeah. People fucking love me. Get more of me. Get more female radon inspectors. I have so much yellow paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this became a planned attempt by Chombe Game Lodge to fill a team with females, but they needed a good recruiting strategy. So they found other top female guides and asked them to be recruiters for the job. And there's going to be some reasons you need female recruiters. Um, so at that time, there's only 10 women guides in total in Botswana. And today, there's over 50, and Chombe employs one-third of them. And now they are only employing female guides, making what? them the first all-female guide group in Botswana and possibly in Africa. Because I tried to search for, like, female guides in other, like, safari-rich countries, and it is hard to find. Sometimes you can find some, like, white women that I assume are British, might be African, but, like, we're, you know, yeah. from the colonial period. But, like, it's very hard to find a crew of women being guides in Africa. So... Um, the decision to go all female, they say, happened naturally because back when the team was co-ed, the company noticed that the vehicles with female drivers needed less gas, required fewer repairs, and lasted a longer time. Thus, they were better drivers and saved the company money. What? Because the women were not going on wild goose chases of animals that they're trying desperately to see in their crazy environment. Oh, you mean so they're also respecting the animals while they're doing their job, which is what they're supposed to be doing in the first place. Exactly. Male guides Mm. 
typically excel at the thrill chase, while female guides are more adept at focus and precision in detail. So the women are both criticized and encouraged about their lower level of aggression in chasing wildlife, but this game resort says they think it makes a better tour. It's so interesting. That the women are making a better tour because their disposition of the way that they treat the vehicle and the animals. That's so fascinating. I, I find it, I mean, it can be, I don't think it's born in. It's definitely cultural, right? It's like yeah. you were raised to act a certain way. Yeah. And therefore they act this way as a woman. It's so cool. Wow. So like saving the company money. <laughs> well, because it's also like it's saving the company money. It's conserving the land and the animals better. And I feel like it's also making the people feel comfortable because I can't imagine being like a person who wants to go on a safari. But like maybe you're like a little scared and then your guide is like, all right, full speed ahead. Let's chase that tiger that's running away. Tigers don't live in Botswana. Cheetah. Cheetah. Let's chase that cheetah that's running away. And I can't imagine being a person that's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, I I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) but having a person that's like, isn't that beautiful what they're doing? It's like, yeah, I'd like to be on that tour. Yeah, I'll take that tour. (laughs) And a lot of people do. I love it. Very successful. All the guide drivers from the different reserves know one another and wave at each other as their competition because, you know, there's only two million people there. So if they all work in the safari, you know, there's big cities in Botswana. There are people who never go out to the Kalahari Desert. I don't want to make it seem like Botswana's all desert. Like there are big cities with roads and, you know, office jobs. And yeah. these women are choosing to do this instead. Um, so... The Chombe Game Lodge is very notable to other employees and tourists, obviously, because everybody does a double take when they see that there is a female driving this Land Rover. Each guide lives on site and has a very demanding schedule. So by mid-morning, you might hear a Savari vehicle rumble by, but they've been working since 4.30 a.m. and they work until sundown Hmm. every day. And as a male-dominated profession, this is a full-time commitment where you're away from your family and there are wild, dangerous animals. Deborah Dorham, who has conducted research on Botswana since 1986, said that they are breaking gender norms. She said, and I quote, as safari guides, they're pushing several boundaries that uh, circumscribed women in the past. From soon after its independence from Great Britain, Botswana has recognized the talent and potential of women. They've only been free since 1966. And in 86, she's like, they've been doing a good job trying with women. It's not perfect, but they're trying. I explained all the problems ahead of this, so you would know. It's like they're doing their best. Um, Yasma Mormung is 37 years old and she became a guide in 2007. She began working at Chombe when it was co-ed and she credits her male colleagues for embracing her as a new recruit equally. They're like, come on in, girl. And then Chana Moche is 32 and she started her career actually at a different camp nine years earlier. She said, I was the first and only lady among male guides but they never discriminated. It was the first time I had changed a tire in my life and those guys helped me. That makes me think of like when like 
young girls like go to the skate park and instead of being like oh get out of here yeah. the like young guys are like hey like i saw you're trying to do a kickflip like can you I know if you? you like you know if you want like i can show you how to move your heel a little better and like I mean, I, this is a moment for shout out for skateboarders because you drive past a skateboard park and it looks like a whole bunch of guys with like raggedy hair and tattoos and like their shirts off, but they are the nicest boys on the planet. So nice. And I'm frankly very upset at the picture that the 90s painted of them as yeah. like hoodlums because they, all the skateboarders that you and I knew, Pretty much all they wanted to do was like skate and hang out. Yeah. They didn't care. They didn't care about anything else. No. They didn't care about us. No. Like. <laughs> They're like, girls, get them out of here. <laughs> Unless you're trying to skate. Yeah. And then come if, on in and hang out skate, with us. I'll teach you. Yeah. Come on. But, uh, but yeah, I just feel like they got such a bad rap and everyone we knew was super cool. I think in terms of athletics, it's one of the most encouraging sports. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. Which is why there are probably going to be, and I know it totally sucks the Olympics didn't happen this year, but there will be nine-year-old girls in the Olympics fucking crushing it when we finally do get skateboarding in the Olympics. Because it's going to be so great. Skateboarding didn't need the Olympics. The Olympics needed skateboarding. Absolutely. Let's be real. <laughs> okay. That was just a little offside. Skateboarding corner. <laughs> You're the jingle girl. I <laughs> They're all the same. It's just that tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> um, okay. Also, speaking of yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know that the voice actor for Ducky in Land Before Time was like killed in a horrible, horrible thing by like her father? Allie, have you met me? Of course I know that. Of course I've seen the tombstone. I know. And it's terrible. I just, She's the unsung JonBenet Ramsey. And of course I know. Why aren't we doing her on the podcast? Because <laughs> she only lived like seven years. Okay, but listen, I literally say things three times in a row because of her. Like, I grew up with that cartoon. Yeah. And I'll always be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Like, I always. Beer, beer, beer. Cerveza, cerveza, cerveza. I don't know. Um, yes, I was very aware. So and I do truly believe she's the unsung JonBenet Ramsey. Yeah. Um, she's no little foot. Voice but. actors get no respect. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Absolutely. All right. Not always smooth sailing for these women. So they're doing this great thing on all these, you know, reserves are being guides. But they do get some pushback. Some male guides at other safari companies definitely challenge their validity, mostly with teasing and jokes, they say. It's kind of like Peggy in the writer's room at, like, Mad Men. Like, they accept her, but they're constantly teasing her. Okay. And it's like, you know, I just, whatever. Guests, though, are also generally worried about their safety and the competence, so they question their knowledge about the vehicles and about changing tires and about fixing the car if something happens and about the ability to handle dangerous animals or do you know enough scientific information? So it's like because she's a woman, she's not going to be able to handle this. So this, though, doesn't bother these female guides. They say, look, we understand we're a novelty. People look at us like we're different. And the women quickly became recognized in their field as some of the best. In many respects, they had to work harder to prove themselves so you get more out of the guided tour when you go with them. 
One of them said, we are ladies. We are known to be soft, but I can change a tire. I can do all the things the males do. It's just, what a clean cut quote. Like, I can do it. Right. Because that's all you, it's all you should have to say. Actually, you shouldn't have to say anything because people should just trust you to fucking do your job. Get in your goddamn duck boot and go in your tour of Boston and and shut up. Get your quack lips and just shut the fuck up. Yeah. You're paying to be on a tour in Botswana. Just go on your fucking safari and be done. Stop being an ass. I'm sure that a lot of people go specifically to them because they're women. So yeah, good on you. I mean, come on, this is an ocean city. We just don't hire. We don't hire just teenagers randomly. <laughs> we hire professionals. No teenagers. Um, um, yeah. I think I just am so afraid of ocean city rides because of the stories my mom tells from working there as a teenager. She like almost killed a bunch of people on one of the rides. Listen, I. Any fair. Because, well, and this is because, too, and I want to make sure, it wasn't because my mom was bad at her job. It was because a man walked off the job while people were on a ride and told her to cover for him. And so she walked on and had never ran that ride before. Uh, and, yeah, a bunch of people, the ride broke, and it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, if you ever look at <laughs> carnival or, like, state fair rides, they are dangerous as hell. I watched the 2020 on it with Barbara Walters when I was, like, 15. I need to find that immediately. It's really great. A girl on the Frogger got, like, her scalp broke because <gasps> her hair got caught. No. Yeah. That's one of my biggest fears. It's something that... It's why I don't go on the... It's why, I like, the pictures of Caroline and I on the Frogger machine in Rehoboth mm-hmm. Beach, I'm, like, very scared. You're horrified. It's a child's yeah, ride. you were horrified. Yeah. So, Botswana. <laughs> There are more similarities than differences, though, between the way that men and women are treated in Botswana. They have the same rigorous training. They have equal pay. They have equal hours of work. And they all desire to work in and protect nature. When animals don't want to show themselves, they don't. And the female guides shine in that situation effortlessly. (laughs) (laughs) That sentence wasn't effortless. Nope. <laughs> effortless. <laughs> I'm so drunk. Okay. I've been eating in days. Okay. <laughs> effortlessly. <laughs> they take the temperature of the group and they entertain the guests with fun, interesting stories. And they say that we have gender equality in Botswana. We want men and women to do the same jobs. The women are good at driving and they're very good at talking. And it's good for the system if they're there, like telling people this is cool. And then they also do like a twice a year refresher course on like here's animal tracks. And here's like, because if you can't find animals, you have to be like, oh, look at these tracks. They were here a little bit ago. And um, a lot of the teachers say that the girls are quicker in picking out new things and that they learn something by these classes and you learn something every day as a guide so that you know how to find something new the next time. The Chobe guides do require flexibility, though, as females. All of the ones at the reserve are mothers because they become mothers so young. They get maternity leave and get longer family visits than the men. The Botswana, the Botswanian culture, women tend to have children super duper young. So these girls have deviated from the norm by getting this job and then also being a mom and wife in their hometown. And Botswana was just like, okay, well, if you're a mom and you want to work, we'll just figure it out. 
Wow. Simple as that. Simple as that. Hmm. Again, it's like, why don't we adapt to you? Yeah. Rather than making you adapt to what makes us the most money. Yeah. And I mean, that is the that's the kicker of this story. I mean, in short, there are three times as many women doing this today than there were in 2004 and five employers and colleagues and the country at large have supported the growth of these women and, you know, supported the growth within the entire country to have women guided tours. And they hope that other countries follow their example. And that's it. I don't. That's amazing. I also love that they're also trying to spread this. It's not like, yeah, we do this because it's kind of cool. It's like, no, everybody should be implementing this because it works. And they're not, I want to be very clear, they're not trying to get rid of male guides. This one place decided to go all female. There are male guides all over Botswana and they are not discriminated against. They're just trying to provide all of the possible avenues for these people. And it's incredible that they're just like, I can't imagine an employer looking at me. And as a teacher, because it's a female dominated field, I have it a little bit easier. But like my boss isn't like, oh, you're pregnant. Fuck you. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, you're pregnant. That's fine. We'll have a woman substitute take over for a couple months and then you'll come back. But your job will be here when you come back if you want to come back. And there are some jobs that aren't like that. And this job is like, oh, you're a wife and a mother. We're just going to give you a longer vacation period so you can handle your business and then come back. And we're not going to take your job. And they've only been free since 1966. And they've got it down. That's incredible. So that's the story. I hope you look up pictures of these women. There are some really cute pictures. If you go to Google Images and type it in of them just like jumping off of the like Ah. big safari cars like all together in this big group. And they're adorable and and so smart and talented and like badass because they're not just driving cars. They then have to drive those boats through the like water areas. They're very cool. Love it. And that's their story. (sighs) All right. Well, now we need to compare these groups of women in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. When it's really, really just the all of us. There's a lot of women here. Just the more than few of us. (laughs) Um, I could not. I mean, initially, hair politics came into mind. Yeah. You cannot like... And I mean, not every one of these guides has super short hair, but a majority of them have a shaved head. It's really hot. It's uh, hair treatments are difficult for everybody. Yeah. If you're going to be out in the desert all day, like I'm not trying to deal with my hair right now. No, absolutely. And I think that's an interesting point to make where where it's like, what is going to be the most productive hairstyle for my life? Mm-hmm. And for the Sutherland sisters, it was to have fucking seven feet of hair. But for the Botswana guides, it's like, no, I need to make this like an efficiency kind of thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't need to have all that hair. I'm just going to do this because that is more comfortable and it's more practical. And the thing is, when you're in the showbiz, practical isn't on your uh forefront and it's also probably like the difference in time and location in cultural appropriateness yeah, that's like, true what is appropriate in this culture at this time with these people right because we're also talking about different races too oh, like yeah. 
We're talking about white Victorian women and we're talking about black women in Botswana. Present day. Present day. So we're just talking about two totally different groups of women who just have different things to deal with with hair because unfortunately, as women, it's always going to be a topic of conversation where, as I feel like with men, like sometimes it comes up, but for the most part, not really. It's, are you bald or are you not? Exactly. <laughs> is, the, is the male hair politics. Yeah. But for women, it is such a bigger conversation. And obviously around the Sutherland sisters, it was their main conversation all the time. And they also kind of broke gender norms with it, too, because we are talking about, you know, them breaking barriers. But like with their hair, like that was seen as very sexual at the time and I kind of feel like for the women guides it's like almost like no I don't want you to think of overly think about my gender right now because this is about the animals right so it's kind of like breaking gender norms in both ways of like I know I'm supposed to have my hair up but I'm gonna let it down it's and it's it's so interesting because like I have uh there's this student that I taught that is currently I think in ninth grade um but when she was in eighth grade all the time you know how there's like the two or three finger rule with tank tops in public school i didn't go to public school so i have no idea okay right you had a uniform (laughs) so like you had to put like three fingers up and your tank top had to be that wide really yes and she would wear a a spaghetti strap tank top all the time sanctioned by her parents she's an awesome girl and it would say uh don't punish me for what i'm wearing on the front of the tank top and she had like love that a shit ton of them and it was like <sighs> yes girl preach and nobody's ever going to call her out on it because then you're in the middle of a debauchery situation yeah absolutely um, so it was so cool and i think that's what they were doing with their hair they were just like let it down don't call me on it and these botswana girls are like i'm gonna drive this land rover don't call me on it when it's also like sometimes i wonder if like the you know morality police you know that kind of comes up a lot i wonder if like other like victorian women instead of being like i don't want my man looking at your hair i kind of wonder if they're like shit that's pretty fucking cool i, I can't do that down. like i wish i could do that and i feel like that's what people think when they see these guides of like i wish i could drive a boat in a car and like point out wildlife tracks like i wish so bad that i could do that and I wish that I could sing and, like, you know, dazzle people with my hair. But, like, <laughs> why aren't I Naomi? Why? <laughs> we should all be Naomi. She's great. Um, I wrote down that you said this, they're the seven wonders of the world. Yeah. I think that America has such, like, an egocentric idea of, like, the seven wonders. And it's, like, I, I, I probably couldn't list them all. But, like, so say in the United States we include the Grand Canyon, right? Like, yeah, it's a great place. It's beautiful. It's way more beautiful than the seven Sutherland sisters. I would much rather go to the Grand Canyon than these people. And I feel like these Botswanian women are. And I don't want to shit on the Sutherland sisters because they were just capitalizing on an act, man. Absolutely. Like, I'm going to do it. They're making money where they can. Right. But I just feel like the, these women in Botswana are saying, we don't want to show you us. We want to show you it. Yes. We want to show you the wonders of the world and we have it here, here in our country. And we're going to share it with you. Well, we're going to be safe and recycle. And that's (laughs) absolutely the difference between because I wrote down ecotourism versus circus tourism. 
Very because good. they're such different concepts. And I do feel like one is so innately American of like, we are going to come to you. We are going to have you tr- pay a nickel just to come and see all these crazy fucking things. That- a Nickelodeon? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you have to do as little as possible. All you have to do is really pay a nickel and suspend your belief for a little bit. <laughs> and that's two women, separate corporations. Yeah. Whereas with ecotourism, the thing is like, if you want to come see it, come fucking see it. But like, we're here and we're going to do it right and appropriately. Like the circus obviously has so, they don't even treat the animals properly oh it's so flawless it's the exact polar opposite of what the Botswana guides are trying to do it's like hey why don't you put an animal in a cage and then make it travel all across the United States and And have it cages only peanuts fucking tiny yeah (laughs) they're not like more modern zoo enclosures like I'm sure there are some zoos that are still really poorly run but I feel like zoos are trying to make a turn of like Let's give them more space. Let's conserve. And let's, let's be true. Zoos are legally not allowed to sell animals. No. You are, they, they aren't. And a lot of them are just like treating injured animals. Mm-hmm. But there are also private zoos that are mm, not, not that Not going to name him? Yeah. Carol Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 hit me hard. Um, (laughs) No, but you're right. It's just a difference in an idea of what's valuable. Mm. The animals versus the people versus the act versus the seeing it. Seeing it magical versus seeing it real. Yes. Well, and I also think it's a difference of, I think that specifically some like American moguls think that they have to be shady and terrible to make the most money. Right. Whereas with other people, it's like, well, we're going to care about the animals first Mm -hmm. and then we'll worry about money later. It's like kind of like the whole thing of like, if you build a good company, the people will come. Like you don't have to be shitty in order for people to come. You know what I'm saying? I have no I idea what you're talking song. about. I was really thinking about Field of Dreams. But. It's on the it's on the radio at present. Oh, okay. Uh, if the bones are good, the house won't shatter. Is the what? Line. Is that really? I've never heard that song yeah, before. It's very good. Should probably turn on the radio. Uh, it's time. Um, um, no, I also thought about the idea of value because so you have this guy in your story who's taking this hair to hang a diamond from, right? Yeah. So what is more valuable, really, the hair or the diamond? And in Botswana, they have the world's largest diamond mine and we we all know that blood diamonds are an issue Mm -hmm. we all know that africa has just been stripped of their resources and treated like shit um and i don't know what part botswana has in that i did not research that i i could have and just was like this is too much yeah i cannot look into blood diamonds today (laughs) but it's one of those things where it's like you know it was the reason for colonialization and now this country has the biggest diamond mine in the world and they can choose what to do with it but they're choosing as far as i could tell from my angle of the story that ecotourism is still very important yeah they could pay for a disney world if they wanted with all those diamonds yeah and they're making a different decision yeah well and 
you know what I also thought about all these women is like their jobs never stopped. Not day and night. The Botswana guides, that is their life. And they are doing that constantly. And I kind of felt that way with the Sutherland sisters. Like they made, since they are basically the product, they are never left alone. And no wonder they kind of went crazy and all got cooped up in a house together in rural upstate New York. I mean, because they were up by like Niagara Falls. Like oh, yeah. this is Buffalo area. It's cold as fuck. So cold. All you can do is drink inside. Literally. And do drugs. And I just feel like both of them are just like, we're on all the time. We, out, we are our jobs at some point in some capacity it's like being a teacher at hogwarts it's more like a lifestyle (laughs) um (laughs) no i agree and i i kept thinking about poor mary i know and i kept thinking about how like she was the like when you think about botswana and these women they guide you through a tour and then you can leave and i felt like mary was being guided through a life that she was imprisoned in yeah. And it was like, your tour guides are torturing you literally. And yeah. these tour guides are here for entertainment and for fun. And they're doing it respectfully. I don't know. I just, I kept thinking about her and thinking like, my God, we all use other countries as examples for how not to treat women. And then yeah. look what we did to Mary. I also wonder if like, like her big break came after Victoria kind of like died and left the family and then was just replaced. And I wonder if she was like, I could have been replaced this whole fucking time. Like there are women wanting to be a part of this fucked up group. And like I could have left and gotten taken care of and not been in the spotlight, which is obviously bad for me and like cut my hair like and you're that you didn't tell me that was an option and mental health wasn't even a thing no and i also feel that with like maybe the women who were before the 60s you know when they started making all these changes that were like we could have been doing this the whole time Mm -hmm. you're like i was legally a minor yeah you were treating me like no one and now look at me i'm in the most prestigious job i know well so cool and i just love that they were just all female groups that are like unabashedly female too that it's just like yeah because women get shit done yeah fuck charles fuck charles (laughs) (laughs) poor charles oh well are you ready to toast these women i am okay who would you like to toast so i want to toast people who are doing things that are harder for you Mm. so those tires in safari vehicles i'm sure are really big and heavy and i do know how to change a tire my dad taught me how to change a tire and it is still hard for me as a woman to pick up a tire for like a normal size car yeah so i can't imagine doing it in a huge safari vehicle with a whole group of people watching you and like worrying about animal life that's like slowly stalking your vehicle as you do this and i just it's okay to say I can do it, but it's more difficult. Like, it, like I think that's fine for a woman to say. And I'm not saying it's difficult for all women to pick up a tire. It's hard for me. So I really respect when a woman's like, I can do it, but it fucking sucks sometimes. So yeah, I just want to cheers people who are doing something that's hard for them because it is doable. Mm, cheers. Cheers. I am going to toast women of the moment. 
I feel like the Sutherland sisters represent a very particular time in American history. And through them, we get a really interesting snapshot into what America was, what the circus was, what women wanted, what they didn't want, which unfortunately the Sutherland sisters ended up not adapting to with the hair length thing. But it's because that's exactly who and what they were, which was women of the moment. So cheers to them. Cheers to them. Some days. Our female podcaster is going to go out of style soon. Never. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so after that, I mean, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week to make you feel better? So I mentioned it earlier. Netflix released an Unsolved Mysteries series. Have you watched it at all? I watched the first episode because it's all about Baltimore. Baltimore. So we've watched the first, producer and I have watched the first couple of episodes. We had no idea the first episode was going to be about Baltimore. And then we turn it on and we're just like, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) And there's all these aerial shots and all buildings we've been in and battlegrounds. And I just, Unsolved Mysteries is, it's like the 48 hours of Netflix. Netflix like I loved the show 48 hours but this is cool and if you're into like true crime shit it's cool although there's no closure so I'm promoing a show with no closure and sometimes (laughs) closure is not necessary yeah no well and I was kind of bummed because I was like fuck I wish I would have seen this before I went to that wedding at the Belvedere because then I could have been looking at that goddamn roof Right, but what about the Albar? You've been there since then, right? The Albar is downstairs, though. I know. And now I can't go ever again. So no, because, who knows what's I mean, going to happen. We're all going to die if we go in public. But, so. um, what are you promoing? Uh, I, <laughs> I was going to promise something else, but then I was listening to today's episode, and I was like, that's right. I was Alfredo gonna, I was going to promo <laughs> my Katie Greenwood's All Proof Great Ramen Weeknight Recipe. So let me tell, tell me, you a little secret. Tell me about it. Okay, so if you go into the Asian cooking section, you'll see a big jar of like curry paste. Okay. It's like a like a like so an Indian summer sauce here, kind of I'm thing. Here, here. So get that, get some coconut milk, okay, and some instant ramen noodles and some spinach. So like the instant ramen noodles like you would buy like in the soup with the packet in it. Yep. Orange orange covering. Orange covering. Got it. Chicken flavor. Chicken specifically. Flavor. Yeah. So Basically, all you need to do is like boil the coconut milk with the water, stir in the curry paste, and then sometimes I like to put in even some extra spices as I'm feeling crazy. So uh-huh. like some curry, some red pepper flakes, some all sorts of stuff. When you're getting wild. But ba- and then you put in the chicken packets from the ramen. It's a delicious soup base. Super then salty. you have the ramen noodles, and then I like to put like a ton of spinach in there and then some other vegetables if I'm feeling wild. But it's basically like all you need for this base and then lime juice especially is really good. But all you need for the base is coconut milk, water and red curry paste and just put it to your liking. And it is the easiest weeknight ramen of your life. And it is so good. Sometimes I put a fried egg on top, which oh, is Oh, that's amazing. the only thing I do with ramen is put eggs in it. It's so good and it's so easy. So like when you're walking through the store, just pick up those couple things because also the red curry paste, like the curry paste lasts me a long time. So don't feel like you have to like buy a new one every time you make this recipe. Are we going to start posting recipes? Yes. I think we need to. I think we need to too because I am not a fantastic cook. I'm just decent at what I like to cook as I said last week. Um, and this is something I, I really like kids. to make. Yeah. <laughs> 
I can cook for a chimney sweep. Um, <laughs> just one. Just one. Um, but yeah, so it's really easy. And I just think it's a good way too to like, if you have a spinach that's about to go bad, you know, that feeling of like, fuck, it's about to wilt. Yeah. Um, make this ramen, throw it all in. Just any vegetables too. Like white beans are really good in it too. Just, it's a really fantastic way to use up vegetables, put an egg on it. And it's so satisfying. Katie's going to post it. I'll, I'll post it. I'll post a video of me making it. It's going to oh, be great. Let's do it. I won't actually do that. No one should expect anything from me ever. Because <laughs> um, I will just disappoint you. Yeah, it's true. So, but not me. You don't disappoint me. Just that. I feel like I do all the time. Never. <laughs> never. And you know it. Um, but anyways, thank you guys for listening, even though I constantly disappoint you. Rate and review us. Um, we we, we love taking pictures of it and putting on our stories. We love talking about it. Yes. We love sending it to each other. Mm. We love reading it over and over again so that we feel good about ourselves. I am not going to lie. It's part of my daily routine to like check check if we have new reviews so if you guys could like make my day next week and leave us a review that would even be a bad one not for katie no. but for me <laughs> i mean it would ruin my day but i don't want to put that pressure on you um <laughs> but thanks again for listening follow us on all the things uh request a woman if you want for next season because we're gonna do like all, all requests. requests. The whole gonna season's going to be, so be great. We're going to send out a schedule soon that you can fill in blanks. Yes, it's going to be so much fun. Um, and we want you to never, ever forget that well-behaved women RSVP on time every time. That's true. I actually did get some RSVPs for my wedding today and because like, I, haven't, I haven't publicly <laughs> I haven't told people that it's postponed again because I haven't had the heart to our podcast knows everyone who listens to the podcast is very aware but <laughs> none of my friends and family know <laughs> oh my god what do you need me to do I am going to do it I just have to tie a few loose ends before I do okay. um so if you know you know and I'm very sorry and, uh, and if you don't know now, now you, you do know. <laughs> so but well-behaved women also rarely make history, so we'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.